This podcast is sponsored by Echelon. Echelon is the affordable way to get the workout equipment, the workout community, and an instructor's motivation right in the comfort of your own home. With Echelon, you can work at any time, day or night, and crush your fitness goals. And right now, for a limited time, podcast listeners get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text GENIUS to 818181 to get up to $800 off MSRP. Once again, just text GENIUS to 818181. Quick disclaimer, message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have a returning guest, uh, Pamela A. Popper. She's the president of Wellness Forum Health. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, COVID. Pam's been on, I think, at least three times. Uh, I just want listeners to know, like, she's out there working tirelessly every day, every night, constantly. And I've, I've seen it myself. Uh, to help people with all the mandates, restrictions, and, you know, utter BS and treachery that's been going on with COVID. So I, I just want to give her a big thanks for what she does. And uh, Pam, welcome back. Well, thank you. And it's great to be back. We always have interesting discussions, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, now that we're uh, we're two years into this madness, what, what does the picture look like uh, right now to you? What are you seeing? That What's the latest news? Well, I think if you've watched my videos, I keep saying it's going to get worse before it gets better. And we're not finished with worse yet. Okay. So that sounds terrible, right? But the good news about where we are right now is that the other side is scrambling. Things are not going well at all. And, um, and so, and they've, they've misrepresented so many things. I'll give you some, some data that I think kind of blows people's minds. So I, I put last summer the vaccination rate in this country at somewhere around 50%. And those are hard numbers. I mean, that, that was a, that was a carefully done analysis where I took how many doses the, and I'll get to the point of what it has to do with right now, but, um, I took how many doses the government said they bought because they were very proud of the fact uh, that they were making the drug companies rich, right? So how many doses did they buy? How many doses did the government give to foreign countries? And then um, you might remember the states started talking about they were going to throw away all these doses. And that's when the Vaximillion and the free tuition and the pizzas and the everything else started donuts. Mm. And so I added all that up and subtracted it out, and you've got about 50% penetration. So that's not what they want, right? So they they mm. overplayed their hand on the, we're doing great, and look at the lines, and everybody's going to be vaccinated. And the, the whole idea was everybody's doing it, so maybe I'll do it. Well, it didn't work. So that's why you saw the frantic, by the end of the summer, Biden saying, I'm out of patience with the American people. I mean, it's just very unpresidential to do something like that. And and all this, you know, mandate this, mandate that. Well, it got shot down by the Supreme Court, the mandate for employers. And um, and so now what are they going to do next? I don't know. I mean, it's uh, I, I don't know what they have in mind, but I'm sure it's terrible. And this reminds me, you know, me and my World War II stories, right? When the war was com- closing, coming down, coming to an end, and the Germans knew they were going to lose, and they, they did know they were going to lose, at, 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 and there were some stories. I've read several firsthand accounts of at Auschwitz, uh, SS officers were helping their favorite prisoners escape by giving them uniforms and that kind of thing. So they really? Them. Oh, yeah. I, I thought it would be like they would just start killing all the people in the camps early oh. to, you know. That, that now you're getting to what I, what I want to talk about now. So um, Hitler knew that the Allies were coming and that they were going to free Auschwitz. So what they decided to do, instead of saying, like, well, they're not sane people. If it were me, I'd be looking to go to South America before the Allies got there. That's not what they did. What they did was they ramped up the killing. And at the time that they started, there were like three or 400,000 Jewish people in Hungary. They really hadn't done much um, with the uh, Hungarian Jewish problem. Them, if you will. And so they decided, well, we better annihilate as many people as we can because we're not going to be in this business for long because the allies are coming. So um, they built extra crematoria, five extra crematoria. They built new train tracks 
And, um, and they brought dangerous numbers of prisoners because they were very careful to only have enough that they knew that the guards and everybody could control. And they had to entertain them, you know, give kid, you know, the kids toys and you know, lunches on the lawn and everything because they thought they were going to be assigned to work detail and that kept them from overrunning the guards. But uh, within a very short period of time, they had annihilated all but 200 and some Jews in Hungary. And that was their, that was their response to it's going to be over soon. We better do more of our work before this is over. And so the the analogy to now is that I don't think these people in their meetings, when they're having them behind closed doors, are saying, you know, this is just going great. It's exactly as we planned. (laughs) I don't think that's what's happening. I think they know this is not working at all. And I don't know what they're going to do. I'm sure it's going to be heinous. That's a real long answer to your question. We're doing a lot about it. We're starting right. to win, but, but um, I just think we're in for more awfulness before it's over. I don't know. I guess I imagine that, uh, you know, evil would just maybe retreat at some point and go quiet and then formulate plans to come back later and do even, you know, worse and different stuff. Well, but do you, not, you, you don't see it go going quietly or what do you see happening? No, it's well, it, it could. I mean, there, there are so many variables and it kind of depends on what they do. And so, you know, I'm awake a lot all the time, actually. So I have a lot of time to think about this stuff. So one option is that at some point in time, some of these people just get on a plane and disappear. I mean, if you look at what happens in foreign countries, banana republics, when the government's on the verge of getting overthrown, the people in charge will just leave before they're part of the overthrown, right? So that could happen. And that could include, you know, some members of our executive branch. Another thing that could happen is they get so crazy. They do something so awful, like, like what's going on in Australia. And the difference between here in Australia and here in the Netherlands is there are 400 and some million guns in this country held by private citizens. And I think at some point in time, you'd end up with a civil war. You could have a state like Florida or a state like North uh, Dakota or South Dakota just say, we're seceding from the union. We just don't see ourselves being part of this country anymore. So we could have a civil war. That's one thing that could happen. Another thing that could happen is, is forced vaccination you know, the door-to-door kind of thing. You know, lo- lockdowns could probably be part of it, some type of attempt to lock people down nationally. It could be forced vaccination. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do, but it's very unstable out there. And uh, and they're losing what? on all fronts. They're, they're losing on all fronts. The, the Christian Cinema and Mansion will not let them have their way with the filibuster, so they can't fix, they can't cheat in elections anymore. The people in this country just plain won't get vaccinated. The hospitals are devastated, you know, and, and I, this is a, a stunning admission. And I, I won't tell you which hospital, major hospital here in um, Columbus. Well, I can tell you this was in the newspaper. The Wexner Center at Ohio State University stopped uh, doing COVID testing in the emergency room, not because they're not concerned about COVID, but because they just don't have anybody to do it. I mean, the, the yeah, hospitals, what, um, they don't have staff, right? What, what are what are some of the... I'll tell you a quick uh, anecdote about uh, Texas. So I've seen, you know, here in central Texas that uh, the pharmacies, you know, are out of the at-home tests. And it magically coincides with the uh, emergency use authorization on PCR tests expiring. You know, what a surprise. Um, So there's no tests. And I asked the pharmacies and they said there's been none for three weeks and there may may be none going forward. And then when I'm driving, I see a line of cars on the road a mile long sitting there. And I'm like, what the? And I look and they're all waiting for the mobile test units. So that's where people here have been pushed to that still feel like they need to get tested mm-hmm. um, and waiting for hours and hours and hours sitting there, you know, just to be tested all day, all night. I see it. That's so just one interesting phenomenon I've been seeing here. But um, but what have well, you been seeing that's, that's good? We news? see that, too. We see that, too. And that's the, this is that that very visible 30 percent. You know, when this all started, I said from the get go that you had about. I, I don't know exactly what the percentage was. I'm pretty sure it's 30, 30, 40 right now. So 30% of the of the sheep, I mean, really sheep, susceptible to about anything you want them to do. And what these criminals wanted them to do was to buy this story and watch TV all day and be scared half to death and um, and turn people against each other, right? So you got 30% of them, 30% of us, and then you got the 40% bystanders in the middle. We're picking up the 40% right now. The the bystanders, I get an email every five minutes from somebody who says, I can't sit and watch this anymore. I got to get involved. 
and the 30% are still the 30%. Nothing's going to change them. So when people say, oh, Pam, this idea that people are waking up, the big lines of the testing centers and all that, this is the same 30% showing up again and again. And so they're being recorded multiple times as cases. That's what, you know, the, the case doesn't mean anything. But of course, when you're that hypnotized and that stupid, um, you don't know that. So you keep showing up and you get counted 97 times as a case. But that's the same 30%. And, and if this went on for another two years, those same stupid people would be in their cars waiting to get tested because that's what the government tells them to do. And that's the level of their ability to well, I, reason. I, I think there the other may be side, you don't there. see. The other side, I just want to say this, the other side you don't see. I had 110 people at my Thursday group last night. Nobody sees that. And we have, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of groups all over the country. Nobody sees that, right? So you see the stupid people, the sheep. You don't see us. Yeah, I, I was wondering with this newest supposed variant, I figured that, so like a week, a week or two ago, I got calls from about 12 people I know, all saying they were sick, they tested, they're positive, blah, blah, blah. But none of them really had a problem. So it does seem like there's, you know, the most recent version of, of COVID and all that is incredibly transmissible, but it really doesn't do much to you at all. So right. I thought, hmm, maybe I call them the hardcore mentally ill. If the hardcore mentally ill all get sick, which I think they will, just based on my little microcosm of so many people calling me and, you know, they don't die. I hope that a percentage of them would be like, hmm, maybe it's not as bad as I thought. So maybe that will whittle away at the 30%. I don't know. No, it won't. They'll hang on till the end. And and you have you have to realize that 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 you know, in the beginning I had a lot more sympathy for these people before I understood more what was going on. Because I could see, you know, if you still had some trust in the media and you know, you were you thought that there was something wrong and you wanted to be careful. And I, you know, I was a lot more tolerant back when this started. And by the way, I try to be tolerant of all people to a certain extent, but but there is a limit. Like I have no tolerance for Nazis, right? You, you don't have to. These are horrible people who inflicted an enormous amount of harm on millions of people, right? So there's a limit to the tolerance. So I had some in the beginning, but but at this particular point in time, anybody who is buying into this story because of just what you said, Everybody's getting tested and positive, but nobody's sick. And um, I, I was listening to it when I went home for lunch today. I was listening to an interview with one of the attorneys who filed the um, was involved in filing a case again uh, that was heard at the Supreme Court. On the day of the Supreme Court hearing, Elena, K, um, it was uh, Sotomayor had been vaccinated, but she was too scared of exposure, so she made her appearance via phone from her office. And then two or three of the attorneys tested positive. Everybody was fully vaccinated. Some of the attorneys tested positive and they had to remote in from somewhere. So just think about the irony of a situation where the federal government is arguing everybody has to get this because it's protective, but the people who are arguing about whether or not you should get it are vaccinated and sick. And then there are these yeah. people are watching that and they're going, yeah, these anti-vaxxers and these people that won't get the vaccine, I don't understand them. They're terrible people. They're killing grandma. That's what right, we're dealing yeah. with. So when you've got people who are this stupid, and, and, I, and I, I don't use that term very often, I've probably used it more this year than I have in the last 65 years of my life, but it is a level of stupidity that takes your breath away. And the thing that's frightening about these people is, and I, I saw some comments in response to a Washington Post article, i turn this phone off, and in response to a Washington Post article that was about the vax versus the unvaxed, where the, the vicious and violent statements being made by these people, that's what's frightening. Those people have become terrifying to me, because I think that they would kill yeah, me if they could, or somebody like me. So oh, yeah, I've seen them, I've seen them, you know, be happy when Someone like Dennis Prager gets COVID and they say, I hope you die. And I mean, just mm -hmm. terrible, ridiculous things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. what we're dealing with. We, we, so that 30% isn't going to change at all. And at the end, um, that Belgian psychologist, or never can, Matthias or whatever his name is, he says that this, as this has played itself out in the past, that they will eventually turn on their masters. And, um, and it won't be because of any kind of real understanding as much as they'll be upset that the masters let people like us take back control because we will. So it's not going to end quietly and it's not going to end soon. How's that for a rosy comment? <laughs> you spoke earlier. Well, all right, before we get to that, what, what do you think is going to turn the tide? What do you think, what event will happen? Or is it just a slow, like, I'm tired of this. This is not making sense. I've had it. 
type of thing? Like what, what's going to happen, do you think, over the next – I always ask you this. Yeah, <laughs> the next well, six months or year. It could be um, it could be something that we, we would call an event, like you would hear on the news one day that, you know, 40 people involved in this thing have just gone somewhere. We don't know where they are. You know, the White House is empty or, you know, Fauci's disappeared or whatever. So it could be they get on a plane and disappear. That would be an event type thing. But I'll tell you what's going on around here. I live in a I live in central Ohio. I'm in Franklin County. Columbus is the big city. Columbus is blue, blue, blue. Uh, lots of sheep. Okay, you know, there are vax passports. You have to be vaccinated to get into the Ohio theater to see a concert, blah, blah, blah. And then you've got suburbs. So this is this is just a little microcosm of what's going on in a lot of places. You've probably seen it too. So the governor wants to get reelected. So he's he's decided to not impose any restrictions on anybody. He lifted the emergency declaration last summer. So the mayor of, of Columbus uh, issued a mask mandate city of Columbus have to have a mask to go into any public place. And um, he asked all the mayors of all the suburbs to to do the same thing. So I live in a woke suburb. So our idiot city council said, oh, yes, we must protect other people. So we have a mask mandate where I live in Worthington, but most of the suburbs didn't opt in. So you've got the sheep writing letters to the editor saying the city of Westerville didn't do the mask thing. And this is just, you know, nobody. These are irresponsible people running the city of Westerville or the city of Dublin. So you got all this debate going on. But here's what's going on practically, aside from who's mandating, who's not. So in my woke suburb, there's a great big restaurant that serves about, they seat about 400 people. And the first First time I went in there after this, probably 5% of the employees were masked and nobody eating there was walking in with a mask, maybe one or two people. Nobody is wearing a mask in that place anymore. No employees, no customers. The grocery store that used to be Melaton, about a mile from my house, I would say 30% unmasked. Nobody says a word to you. Walmart, you can go in, no mask. I can count on one hand the number of places in the county that I know about that are being dogmatic about the masks. And, um, and, and then this is what's funny, and it tells you how the propaganda machine works. While this is going on, and everybody's noticing, gosh, every time I go into Kroger, there are fewer people who are masked. The, our Columbus newspaper, it's, it's called the Columbus Dispatch. I call it the Columbus Disgrace. It actually published a um, front page article saying mask compliance in Franklin County is almost 100%. I mean, we laughed our butts off, right? So, yeah. so somebody must have given them that piece of propaganda and said, like, about four weeks after the mask mandate, make sure you put that in there so everybody knows everybody's complying. And we're laughing our butts off because nobody. Yeah, people don't. People don't have eyes. They forgot, yeah. you know. Yeah. So again, the stupidity of somebody who reads the Columbus newspaper and says, that's right, everybody's complying when they just came back from a store that 30% of the people weren't wearing a mask. It's like, takes your breath away. Well, are you seeing that the places that maybe you've just said this, but are the places that are still enforcing it, are they losing a lot of business, hopefully? And Yes. Yeah, you got to hit them in the wallet. That's really probably the only way to stop these idiots. Yeah. Yes, and that came up at our Thursday meeting a couple of weeks ago. There's one um, restaurant uh, that has live entertainment that said you have to have a vaccine to get in there. And um, so there was a protest and all this, and that stuff really works. But having said that, there are some people in my group who live close to that place. It's not very far from here. And I guess that it used to be closed only on Monday, and now it's closed more days. And there are a lot of bands that won't play there because they don't want to get vaccinated. And um, and somebody said, oh, but the car, the parking lot's already always full of cars. They said, and the people who live there said in this little neighborhood said, no, 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 that's for the compounding pharmacy. Those people aren't going to this place. They're going to the Columbus okay. pharmacy yeah. during the day. Mm. So yeah, I think it is. I think it is hurting them. And um, the Columbus disgrace did allow somebody to make an honest statement. They published it when it was an end of the year review, and the arts organizations were reporting their ticket sales and everything. And I used to be very involved with our dance company. Well, I guess um, they had to cancel performances of Nutcracker from lack of interest, and the opening night it was down like thirty some percent. And the director of the Good. company said that um, she thought it was because some people just don't want to be around other people, but a lot of people just refuse to comply with the regulations. That's what amazes me is, is the, the way that these people's minds twist around anything you say. Oh, mm-hmm. someone, someone got vaccinated and they got sick again with COVID. Oh, it would have been worse if I didn't, <sighs> you know, I mean, uh, oh, uh, you know, no one's wanting to come in. Oh, I'm sure it's because they're afraid. I mean, it's just amazing to me. Like you could say anything and they'll just find a reason to, to go around it, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. 
absolutely. So, um, so that it, it is, it is unraveling. And this is what's making the, the, our rulers crazy is that um, they've just lost control. I mean, and, 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 and they don't know what to do. So in this situation, you know, I think I've told you this before, we were the model state and our little criminal was one of the worst that was running Ohio, uh, the emperor DeWine. Okay, so DeWine wants, so they're between a rock and a hard spot. In order to keep the deal going, you've got to keep the criminal in office. But if the criminal is going to get reelected, he can't keep the deal going. You know what I mean? So, so I'm sure that the criminals in Washington are going, gosh, we, we used to be able to count on Ohio with a nice conservative governor to parade him around on MSNBC and CNN and show that, gosh, even the Republicans are on board, but they're not now. And, um, and so, you know, it's just, if you take a look at this from any direction, as bad as things are for a lot of people, when you're looking at it from my perspective of, are we making a dent in all this and going in the right direction? Yeah, we really are. We are. That's good to know. One thing I thought of is, uh, you know, with all the, the injuries from this crap, there's going to have to be a whole industry that's going to need to rise up to help people that have been brutalized by this. It'll probably have to be underground, unfortunately. But oh, no, it, what do you, it won't what do you be see in that direction? Well, what we're going to what we're going to do this is when the tort lawsuits will start. See what one of the things that's going on now. Let's go back to the bad stuff, and this is where they'll probably do the most damage before this is over. They're killing people in the hospital. You probably know that. And there's a financial incentive. How now are they doing it? Are they still putting people on ventilators or how are they killing well, them? Well, here's the way that this works. So the CARES Act, which you can read online. So you can actually read this, what I'm telling you now. So when somebody shows up at the hospital and uh, says they have breathing problems, they might have pneumonia, they might have a lot of things. But if you cycle high enough, you know, you can find COVID. So you say, well, we have a COVID patient. Now you get, you get paid to give the test. Then you get paid more if it's positive. Then you admit them to the COVID ward where they get paid more per day and for everything's more expensive in the COVID ward. If you can give them just one dose of remdesivir, the whole hospital bill goes up 20%. If you put them on a ventilator, you get more money. If they die there, you get more money and the coroner gets more money for dealing with a COVID death. So it's some places, it's it's tens of thousands and as much as 100,000 to kill somebody in a hospital. And I'm using those words deliberately, not carelessly. So, um, and the, the wrongful death lawsuits, you know, usually when somebody dies in the hospital, if you think something's wrong, it's negligence or malpractice. But now we're talking about people were actually paid to kill people and they did. And I don't think that qualified doctors and nurses that are used to working in a hospital are going to be able to say, I didn't know that that was going to happen when I put this person on remdesivir. A known um, side effect of remdesivir is kidney failure. I, I didn't, you know, when you, when you put somebody who's got pneumonia, who has no comorbidities on a ventilator, I have to believe you know that that's the wrong thing to do. So this is intentional. And so to your point, the tort lawsuits are, are going to go on forever. It, this will make tobacco litigation look like child's play, in my opinion. It'll be hundreds, what, trillions of dollars. Well, what kind of lawsuits, this is a silly question, but what kind of, what, what will the lawsuits look like in your estimation? Oh, I know what they're looking at. We're preparing, preparing to do it. We're going to file wrongful death. And we're planning to do it sooner rather than later because we think it'll change the behavior. In other words, if you're working in a hospital and you're killing people and some a group files a wrongful death lawsuit, in your state or even in your hospital and names and and goes after doctors, actual individuals who are involved in it, you might just say, I think I'm a little bit nervous. I don't know if I want to kill people anymore because I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to have to give up my medical license and lose all my assets. And even the hospital might say, this isn't as much fun as it used to be. Okay. Because for every hundred thousand we took in for killing somebody, we might owe 15 million or a hundred million. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not an attorney, but I know that when um, when it's intentional, the 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 damage awards are huge. Look, that's what happened with tobacco. They intentionally withheld information that would have no, let people know this stuff is highly addictive, right? And uh, because it was intentional, the punitive damages were like unbelievable. There are going to be some attorneys who get wealthy at this, and they should. The attorneys that have worked for a fraction of what they're worth and have been in the same situation as me, every time you turn around, somebody's doing a hit piece on you and you're concerned about your personal safety and all that kind of stuff, they should make a lot of money at the end of this, I think. What kind of attorneys 
have you observed seem to be best positioned to do this? Is it personal injury or is that not important? I mean, I'm just curious about that. Well, I think the attorneys that are going to do this are the attorneys who are familiar, who are working on this stuff already. I don't know if the personal injury guys will get involved. Most attorneys would not get involved with this. All right. And one of the reasons, well, a couple of reasons for it, the big law firms couldn't do it because they're conflicted. And a lot of personal injury, good personal injury lawyers are with big law firms. But the problem is that those law firms have conflicts of interest contracts with the state and that sort of thing. So I think it's going to be the people like Tom Renz and Mike, Mike uh, Hamilton and the folks that filed the lawsuits for us that'll be involved in, in that because they know this, they know the data inside and out and out. And that's what this is going to be all about. Have uh, state or local bar associations, you know, harassed or intimidated any of their constituent lawyers or has it not yes. happened in that area? Yes. Oh, yeah. Everybody's after you. The, the medical boards are after doctors. The bar associations after attorneys. Everybody is after anybody who's who is interfering with the party line. The academics, the uh, universities, colleges, everybody. So how did how did the, how did they get so many people to comply? Is it just like these people don't want to lose their jobs, so they'll say, "All right, I'll I'll do whatever you say." Or like, what? How could they get so many you know hundreds of thousands of people to? To tell the party line, as you say. I've been working too hard and not working out enough. I wanted to get in shape, but I don't have time to get to the gym. Echelon brings the gym home to me. So right now, for a limited time, podcast listeners get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text GENIUS, G-E-N-I-U-S, to 818181 to get up to $800 off MSRP. Once again, text GENIUS to 818181, and message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Well, I think that it's been going on for a long time. Nothing is new here. It's just bigger. You know, one of the things I get asked a lot is how to get all these medical people to comply. If you go back to how, this, this is just one example, and we could talk about university academics and on and on, but let's just talk medicine because that's my area of expertise. So the way that the current, what we call conventional medicine, the way that it came into being the way that we treat everybody is very unusual. This is the only place on the planet that this happened where it was literally a hostile takeover of healthcare in our country. And it crowded out everything that wasn't them. They, they were, they viciously, when the American Medical Association got control of medicine, they viciously attacked anything that wasn't them. So they didn't get where they are because they're good. They got where they are because they're powerful and vicious. And, and that's a bad way to start a monopoly, wouldn't you say? So let me give you an example of things that have happened. I'll just give you one example. And this is so horrific that, and it happened a long time ago and, and nothing got done about it. So we shouldn't be shocked now. So Johns Hopkins was the first institution to do medical residency. And, um, and that's a good thing. They used to send doctors, you know, out into the field to practice on humans. And so it was a good idea. And the first um, doctor who, who supervised surgical residency was a guy by the name of Halstead, who happened to be a morphine and cocaine addict. He was hospitalized six different times trying to get him off of the drugs that didn't take. One time in a drug-fueled episode, he took his mother's gallbladder out on his uh, dining room table. And um, the residents reported that sometimes he showed up for surgery. And I haven't gotten to the worst part yet. He showed up for surgery and he was so, his hands were shaking and he was unable to perform surgery. So the residents who were supposed to be learning from him would do surgery on the patients. That's reassuring. But the thing that he's most known for is that he started to make an observation that when you did a mastectomy, for example, and you took the breast off, the cancer would recur right on the other line of where the surgical cut was. So he said, well, maybe we should take some more tissue then. And he continued to go in that direction until he was removing shoulders and ribs and rendering women completely disfigured and disabled as a result of the amount of body parts he was taking out. It's estimated that he did this to about a half a million women before George Cryle at Cleveland Clinic had an idea that this can't possibly be right. Like, what are they going to do? Take their heads off next, you know? And um, finally, it took him years to get the federal government to, to do a study on mastectomy. And, and they proved that Halstead, what he was doing, offered no survival advantage. In other words, taking taking so much out of these women that they literally couldn't function for the rest of their lives did not, did not improve their survival. He died with his medical license intact. Think about that. That's crazy. Yeah. So they did nothing. 
So, so the, and the approval rate, you know, people think about how could the FDA have approved the, the vaccines for five to 11 year olds when Pfizer presented data at the hearing saying that the risk that a child would be hospitalized or die from COVID was statistically zero. And then the FDA says, okay, you can give it to five to 11 year olds. How does that happen? Well, they've been approving 96% of what is submitted to them since 2015. And that's because the drug and device makers pay them $2.6 billion a year in what are called user fees. And that really is bribe money and they approve everything. So you might remember, not related to COVID, but last year, the FDA approved a drug for Alzheimer's patients that costs $56,000 a year and doesn't change any measurable outcome for an Alzheimer's patient. So yeah, I heard about now, that, yeah. Well, but what I'm getting at, they don't even go through the charade. They used to at least pretend like they were reviewing things. Now you don't even have to pretend. You can just basically say, we're in bed with the drug companies. Anything they want to sell in the United States, we're going to let them do it. And so why even bother like to pretend like we're regulating? Because we're not. Everybody knows it. We know it. What the heck? So, so that if you can understand that this Halstead thing happened decades ago, and then a hundred things like that have happened since that happened, and no time to go into all of that. Maybe I'll write another book about all this. But, but um, that, now we're not even going to pretend. We're just going to hurt and kill people, and uh, like what's going on in the hospitals and everything else. What we don't even have to pretend like we care anymore. Yeah, that, that's crazy. I remember I read a book by Catherine Eban called Bottle of Lies about this company Rambaxi that. You know, they were making all these generic drugs and putting whatever they want in it. And, you know, people would say to their doctors, docs, you know, the medication is messing me up. And they would say, well, it's the same one. How could it be a problem? And, you know, the the saddest thing I saw in the story was, I guess, Rambaxi was going to get rights to generic Lipitor. And regulators at the FDA said, let them do it because then they'll have a lot more money. So when we go after them, you know, we're just there for the money. We'll get a lot more from them because now they'll have deeper pockets. And that's. That's terrible. <laughs> they don't yeah. care about anybody or anything. They don't care who they kill. They just want money. Yep, that's exactly right. That is exactly right. And um, and, and the only thing, let's go to something positive. You might think, well, how could you say anything positive about this? You know, sometimes when I've been writing about this, I've, I've been writing about this and talking about it for decades. And I've had, I've been called a lunatic, a conspiracy theorist. The, the uh, conventional medical doctors say, you don't have any standing to talk about this. You're not a doctor. You're not a surgeon. I graduated from Harvard. Well, I can read statistical information. I mean, anybody who understands statistics can and can read the history of medicine can tell you what I'm telling you now. All right. So, so there were always a lot of people who understood. I mean, my business is the size that it is because our market is people who understand what's going on in healthcare and figure they better become educated, right? So that they don't get hurt. Okay. So now what's happened? And this is where they haven't been very bright, actually, about what they're doing, is that everybody's seeing it. People who who before, there's still a lot of people who have a lot of faith in medicine. You're 30% sheep. But the rest of the world is waking up and saying, wow. And, uh, and, and a good example of that, uh, I get all these news feeds like Medscape, MedPage, that kind of stuff. And I'm still reading articles about um, people are saying that uh, they can't get people to come in for their mammograms and people are not bringing their kids in for their well child visits to get their vaccines and, and all this kind of stuff. So they, they hurt themselves in the short term, they're going to get a whole lot of money. And the long term, they've damaged themselves irreparably because they have shown themselves so clearly that people who before... Uh, we had a lot of confidence. You hear all the time, we have the best medicine in the United States. No, yeah. we, don't. we haven't for a long time. It seems like nothing stays in the news cycle long. Do you think that, you know, let's say maybe, you know, COVID kind of like the, the people in charge slink away quietly. Do you think a substantial number of people will be just like, oh, and they'll just go about their lives and be like, oh, nothing happened. It's fine now. You know, or everything's gone, we're okay. No, I think I think there are some people who will do that. I think that some of the sheep will drift back into that at some point in time. They might say, I think I feel safe enough to go to the drugstore now. I might go pick up yeah. my chip based on my own. But but I think that there's a portion of this country that has been awakened and is saying we have to do things differently 
and, and it isn't in all areas, right? We have to have different elections. We have to have, we've got to make sure that uh, our kids are educated properly. Look at what's going on with parents. Parents have become so active. They've been labeled domestic yeah, parents, gone. which is ridiculous. But, but you know what? Think about, I remember teachers saying to me that, you know, parent teacher night, nobody's there, board, the school board meetings, you know, nobody would be there. That's not going on right now. Boy, those parents are awake and they're awake in Virginia to turn an election, you know? So I I don't think it's ever, I don't think that the people who understand this are ever going to go back to the way it was before or their level of apathy the way it was before. Well, hopefully so. So what are you seeing is working and what's not working? You know, we talked about this protests versus lawsuits, essentially. Could you recap that? Yeah. So it's it is turning out just like I said, and our recruiting is up big time because I get an email like this every 10 minutes. And I'm not kidding. Every 10 minutes, somebody will say, you know, when you were talking about in 2020, protests don't work. I've signed 92 petitions and I put together PowerPoint presentations and I emailed my legislators and I all that. Yeah, it doesn't work. i want to say, yeah, I know I told you that back in 2020. What does work is a two-pronged approach, really. I've gotten better at communicating what we're doing because I talk about it all the time. But the long term, there's a long term and a short term. The long the short term thing that you have to do, and it's tied in with the long term, is you have to make life livable for the people who are going through this. And you have to restore the community connections that have been lost. All right. The long term is the lawsuits, the criminal prosecutions, the torts, the, the tort suits, and that kind of stuff. So you have to keep that long-term stuff in mind and you have to go after the money to make it happen and all that. That's my job is to, I'm, I'm one of many people who have that job. I'm not the only one. And then in the short term, when I talk about making life livable and um, putting our communities back together, I will tell you, I wish I could take credit for what has happened in these groups. And, and it was beginning to happen when I talked to you before, but it's on steroids now. So um, people meet new friends. They find out about a new church that isn't involved in all this nonsense. We have experienced homeschooler parents uh, mentoring new homeschool parents and their kids become friends. People People are getting jobs. A lot of people have gotten jobs just in my group. Uh, doctors are leaving institutions and setting up practices, and so are nurse practitioners. And they're um, and they're take it's a cash practice. Don't report anywhere. And how do you find out about those doctors through your Thursday group? Because everything's local, local. We do business with each other. I had a part of my house remodeled. The contractor, a member of my Thursday group. A lot of people are having their house remodeled by the person who, who I did in front, <laughs> a woman who's a fabulous builder. And, um, and so everybody does business with each other. So it's like this, it's a parallel society. And during the worst of the lockdowns, you know, in, in Columbus, for example, in Ohio, we, ha- we all knew where to go to do everything. We had normal lives, except for the nursing home and the hospital. That was the immovable force. But, you know, everybody knew that if you went to this grocery store, they'd let you in without a mask. And there was a whole list of restaurants, no plexiglass, no masks, no nothing. Coffee shops, we knew where to get our hair done. Sometimes we had to go at six in the morning, but we didn't have to get our temperature checked or anything like that. That's really good. It's like yes. a whole parallel society you guys it is. have made and covered. And it's still like that. And there's, a, and there's an incredible loyalty to the group. Like if somebody, but we have regulars in our group, if somebody doesn't come for a while, somebody in the group is getting in touch with them saying, where are you? And, um, you know, some, we have a, one of our, just by way of example, this one woman doesn't have a job right now. And she started making these, she has a natural foods background. So she started making these special teas and all that kind of stuff. And we all buy all of it. You know, it's like, she needs the money. Some of us have some, so we buy it. Right. So it's just, it, it, I look forward to Thursday night. I can't wait. And I never was without social interaction. My business never closed and all that kind of stuff. So if it is necessary for me to have this group, you can just imagine what it does for somebody who's isolated, unemployed, has four kids at home and never homeschooled before and all that kind of stuff. It's the difference between surviving Mm. and not, you know? So this is like probably one of the most positive things you've ever experienced. Like you have a lot of community now and that's really cool that, that people have come together that you've helped bring together like this because people, yeah, they're just, I just felt going out over these past two years and I go out every day, like just everyone felt like they were hostile for a while and everyone's bothering you about masks and all this stuff. And even now it still bugs me. You know, I go to places and they look at you and you just, you're just waiting for them to say something to you, you know? 
yeah, didn't we don't deal with that. And uh, by the way, this is something else I think we have to recognize about the importance of these groups. What is the thing that these criminals tried to keep us from doing more than anything? Congregating. What does mm-hmm. that tell you is the most important thing to do? Congregate. Okay. If we had had 80 million people meeting in groups of two to 100 all over the United States when this started, they would have declared their emergency in March, and this would have been over by the 4th of July. Because this country, no country, has the capacity to deal with 80 million people who dig in their heels and say, I'm not doing it. The state of Virginia couldn't deal with one school system's parents who said, we're done with this, right? So can you imagine how powerful this is going to be? It's powerful now. It's going to become more powerful. I mean, this group of people that we're gathering together under one banner and under one tent, and we do it by making sure that we only take on things that everybody agrees on. We stay out of the politics and the election stuff and the Second Amendment. There's a place for that. It's just not in Make Americans Free Again. So by continuing to discipline ourselves to stick to a handful of things that everybody is on board with, we can gather up these people. And this is going to be our insurance policy that this never happens again. And it will somewhat become an insurance policy against other kinds of bad things that can happen. Because like I said, this country has no capacity to deal with 80 million people who won't go along with whatever the heck they come up with that they want us to do. Yeah. So if someone doesn't live near you, I think you mentioned there's groups now all over the U.S. Like how does someone find out about a group or start a group? How you start a group? I do. A, I, I offer a conference call once or twice a week. Right now we're doing it more than that because we have so much demand. Where I, it's like an orientation. So I can, you know, before you would jump in and do it, I lay out my plan and how it works. And then you can ask questions and all that. So I do that every week. And then we have a handbook that we um, put together. You know, the history of MAFA, Make Americans Free Again, how the groups operate, what your responsibility is as a group leader. You sign a meeting leader agreement, agreeing to abide by the rules. We have a meeting coordinator here in the office, a full-time person. Her job is to come in here every day and just work with groups. Every uh, Thursday, we send out the uh, meeting agenda. You're going to play this video. These are the things you're going to discuss. This is what's new in our litigation. So we take care of all that so that it's easy for them to do because if you don't, you, this can't be a job for somebody. It's a job for us here, but it, does, it can't be a job for other people. And then we have meeting leader conference calls and trainings and all that sort of thing a couple times a month. And um, so we, it, everything from showing you how to do, why to do it and, and making you feel comfortable with the concept to the every week operation of your meeting, we're holding your hand right by the way to make it easy to do. Um, so these groups, like how big is your group and how big are some of the groups that you've heard about across the U.S.? It's everything from five people meeting in a coffee shop to my group is now grown to an, it's, it's at 110 again. So we're going to have to have Whoa. a baby group. Well, I, might, I hold 100 people pretty comfortably in my conference area in my office. You get to 110 and it's a little bit close in there. So every time we get there, we have to have a baby one of our, our members said, I would miss coming to this group a lot, but I'm starting to feel a lot of pressure to start a meeting about three miles south of where you are. And we do need to do that. So we would get about 22, 23 people out of here and, and we'll miss them. But we get together for fundraisers. Like we're having a big fundraiser for Valentine's Day so we can all be together then and then we'll build it back up again. So that's really cool. So again, going forward, even though, like you said, you're expecting that the, you know, the people in power are going to dig their heels in and try to cause as much havoc as they can. Um, but what, what timeline do you see going forward in general? Like, you know, this year, 2022, what are your thoughts about what's going to happen and when? And I know, you know, not accurate, but what's your... Well, I don't know too many variables. And I think that what we don't want to do is start disappointing people by saying, I think we're going to be better off by August or something. So... What I tell people is the the best way to live your life. I mean, not that I'm an expert on this, but I'll tell you how I'm living mine for whatever it's worth. On some level, you're going to do what I'm doing. Okay. And when I say on some level, what I mean by that is that I'm up 20 hours a day and I work 19.9% of that or 99.9% of that time. Right. So, so I don't expect anybody to do that, but here's what I do. I get up every day. And um, the first thing is I appreciate any part of my life that's normal. You know, my cat is still with me, 17 and a half years old. That's great. I have friends. I have a successful business. I love what I do. I love where I live. 
I love my remodeled part of my house that my MAFA friend did for me. I mean, I just try to really take in everything that's great in life. And then I'm going to spend a portion of my day maintaining that. Everybody has to maintain their life. If you have children, there's maintenance involved, whatever you're doing, right? And then I'm going to spend some time, more than most people, and I'm not asking that, working on this issue and and um, and making it better. And we're just going to keep doing that until it's over. Because if we're going to take the attitude, remember when we were little kids? I remember when I was a little kid, my sister and I would be in the backseat of the car going on vacation with my parents. Where are we mm-hmm. going to go? Niagara Falls. Okay, so I don't know how long a drive from Columbus, probably nine hours. We get about two hours and my sister and I start saying, how long before we get there? You know, and then oh, yeah. later, how long that. before we get there? And I remember my mother saying, if you don't stop asking that, I'm not going to give you any lunch. Be quiet, play cards. And we go back to playing <laughs> cards for a while, right? So, so I don't want to get into the, are we there yet kind of thing, because that just makes you frustrated. And then dealing with problems. I, one of the things I'm talking a lot about, and we're talking about in our groups, is that compliance helps them. So this is the time to say, If I have to get a vaccination to go see my family in France, maybe this isn't the time to do it. Maybe it's not really safe to be in another country, right? If I have to interrupt my education for a year, I mean, everybody who drops out of college for a year and goes back later doesn't end up homeless, right? I did. I I dropped out for 20 years (laughs) and went back to school. And I think it turned out okay for me, right? So starting to look at what adjustments do you make in your life to keep yourself safe? And, uh, and, and what do you need to do? How do you need to rearrange things in your head based on this place that we are right now? So there are, there are more and more parents who are basically saying, until these schools change what they're doing, it's not a safe environment for my child. No. I kept sitting there. Teachers tell me this, and this is a message for parents who might be listening to this. I get, I get emails from teachers and teachers in our groups and everything say the same thing. The kids are to the place now where they've just become passive. They just sit and stare. Um, they don't engage. The, the one woman told me she taught poli sci at a high school. She said, we used to have these like heated discussions. The kids would, you know, debate with each other and they'd ask real challenges. She said, now I talk for 45 minutes. They sit there and they stare at me and then they get up and they go to the next room and they do exactly the same thing. That is highly damaging to a child. If you've got yeah. a kid who's doing that, you need to get them the hell out of that school and homeschool. And when parents tell me it's inconvenient, I tell them, you know what, having a psychologically damaged kid who grows into a psychologically damaging adult, damaged adult, that is so inconvenient. You can't believe it. You pay for that the rest of your life, right? That's true. Yeah, that's definitely true. I don't know. Is there any other, uh, any other advice you have for people that are, you know, just trying to live their lives? I mean, well, you gave think- some suggestions on non-compliance. Any other suggestions think- on how people can kind of keep their heads together? I think you got to gather with people of like mind, you know, the, the feeling of isolation, you know, so it depends on where you live. I read a great article. This, this person wrote saying, you know, COVID never came to our town. You know, if you're living someplace in, in, um, in a freer state, that's kind of rural, you're completely unimpacted by this. I mean, you read it, see it on the news and it's disconcerting and all that, but your life is pretty normal. But if you're living in an affected area, I mean, I'm living in a minimally affected area. Some people are living in a very affected area. Start a group. Get yourself around some like-minded people and have a support system. And um, for your mental health, it will help you a lot. And this is a mental game. We have to we have to outmaneuver and outlast these people. And we're actually doing a pretty good job. When I say we, I don't mean me make Americans free again. I mean the, the people in this country who don't, who aren't in agreement with it. And so the more people who join us, the the easier it's going to be for us to end this. So, you know, if if you're tired of it and you're feeling like you'd like to feel better, get in touch with me, pampopper at msn.com, start a group, get a new group of friends. And I, you know, I was having a conversation with one of my Make Americans Free Again people last night. And I think this is interesting to share with you. So we were talking about the, the people who, I didn't know her before this, so She's disconnected from a different group of people than I've been disconnected from. And some of it was that we don't want anything to do with those people because they're nasty and what they're doing is terrible. And some of it is those people having ta- like a lot of my co- former colleagues, just they drank the Kool-Aid, they're making the Kool-Aid in their kitchen, right? So they don't want to do it with me. And so what we were talking about is the number of times looking back that we certainly had some kind of inclination 
that we didn't have much in common with these people in terms of philosophy of life. So I might have been in the same occupation as some of my former colleagues, but my philosophy of life was not any like anything like theirs. And that's usually what connects people. And so, and I'm not saying you to connect with people, you have to agree on everything, but I'm saying to be a close friend, to be the kind of person who comes to my house for dinner, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, or, or that we work on a charity thing together. Uh, the charity thing has to have some kind of connection to what's important to me. How much tap dancing I actually did, how many times I bit my tongue and was quiet because I knew that if somebody knew I was a Republican, it would be a deal breaker. And you know what? I don't want to be around anybody who judges me based on that. Like, if you don't like my politics, you don't like my religion, you don't like my, and, and that's a deal breaker for you. I don't want to be around you because that's not the kind of place that I want to live. It's not, the, you know what I, I hope I'm making myself clear about that. It makes sense. So, yeah. 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 So, so our new friends are people who we, we don't see everything eye to eye, but we have a very common group of principles. We like limited government. We think that there should be honesty in healthcare, informed consent. We value family. We believe in God. I, I don't want to hang around with atheists anymore and pretend and avoid the conversation because if they know that I have a deep spiritual connection to God, that they probably wouldn't like me anymore. You know that kind of so so I have a lot more in common with my new friends than I had with some of the people that I hung out with before, and I don't miss them now that that has happened. So you could do that too. Just mm. send me an email. So Pam Popper at MSN.com. And then yep. they could also go to Make Americans. Very right. good. Pam, again, uh, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for all that you do. And people don't even realize that uh, you've helped them, even though they haven't ever talked to you, let's say, because of all the work you've done. So again, thank you very much for coming and for all that you've done. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, which has been sponsored by Echelon. When you're trying to reach your fitness goals, it can really help to have world-class instructors like Nicole Griffin and Michael Brown choreographing classes with music from your favorite artists like Pitbull. And you get a community of hundreds of thousands of people who can give you that extra push. Echelon gives you that. Echelon's certified fitness instructors are supportive, engaging, and fun. They really know how to get you moving. And right now, for a limited time, podcast listeners can get up to $800 off MSRP to get this exclusive podcast discount. Text Genius to 818181 to get $800 off MSRP. Once again, text Genius to 818181. Message and data rates may apply. Please see terms for details. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.